0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Composer's Journey. So I have been composing every day or six days a week so far this year. And I've been getting this question, which is what software, what tools, what technology do I use to compose? And I want to answer that. So this week, or last week rather, I set myself a challenge to write something crazy, something wacky, which would just push my boundaries a little bit, but I also wanted to see just how alive and exciting I could make virtual instruments sound. So for those of you who don't know, virtual instruments are instruments which have been recorded and engineered. So you might take a trumpet, put it in a studio, and you'll record it, and then you will engineer it so that I can then play back that trumpet sound in my own home. I'll grab a keyboard, plug it into my computer, and I can play back that trumpet sound at home on my keyboard. And it will sound fairly real. 15 years ago, you know, most people would have agreed that these virtual instruments were not that good. They had this famously ugly sound. They just sounded very unrealistic, very dead, pretty awful. You know, there's no way that virtual instruments could ever replace the real thing. But nowadays, some of them have actually become extremely good. Of course, they're designed to be as close to the real thing as they can be, which means that the real thing will always always be better. You know, ideally, if you can get in a room with a real thing played by a really good player, that's always going to be best. And if you have great microphones to go with that, that's always going to be best. But you can't always get in the room with a full brass section in an amazing studio with great microphones. You just you don't always have that option. So, with enough care and attention, a mock-up with virtual instruments can give surprisingly good results. So I'm going to play you this one-minute piece of music that I wrote in my first week of January. So this is just over one minute. It's about 80 seconds, and it's called Time Machine. It's for a little TV short, and what happens in this short is a man finds a time machine. He gets in, and then it all starts ticking and whirring, and the clocks are whizzing around, and then suddenly he's shooting across all these magnificent vistas. So... I'm going to play this short piece for you and I'm going to then tell you what worked, what I think didn't work so well. But first, have a listen. So this took me about one week of half days. Now, I had a lot of fun with this, as you can imagine. But what's worth mentioning is that the music writing, the actual composing, happened relatively quickly. You know, a couple days took me to write out those ideas. But what took a very long time is the mock-up. That's mocking up the audio with, with virtual instruments, making a sort of mock performance with the virtual instruments. That took me a pretty long time. And then the mixing. And mixing is where you balance all the different instruments. You take the audio and you balance it. So you might need to turn the violins down in certain moments, turn the trumpets up, you know, that kind of thing. And you're also removing any ugly sounds, ugly frequencies, and you're trying to make it sound as real and exciting as possible. That's what mixing is. So there's the mock-up stage where you're essentially performing your piece of music with virtual instruments. And then there's the mixing stage where you're trying to make it sound as good as possible. So the mock-up and mixing took a disproportionately large amount of time. Historically, mock-up and mixing weren't part of a composer's job. You'd spend 100% of your time actually writing the music. Whereas here, I think I spent, I don't know, 35% of my time actually composing, and the other two-thirds of my time mocking up and mixing. If you think of someone like John Williams, John Williams doesn't do mock-ups. He does 100% composing and he actually uses pencil paper and a piano. All of his efforts are spent on composing, whereas I've been dividing my time up quite a lot between actually composing the ideas and then most of my time is spent trying to make them sound real. However, that work does pay off, I've got to say. It does feel extremely rewarding to have this sort of final product, to have this track on my computer without having to spend tens of thousands on getting professional orchestras to record in a good studio. You know, normally you'd have to spend for a film score. You'd probably spend over 100 grand with a with a world class orchestra in a world class studio. Whereas here, yeah, it doesn't sound as good as a world class orchestra, but it sounds pretty good. I mean, I, if I may say so myself, I'm I'm pretty happy with the results and I didn't spend tens of thousands on it. So, you know, there there's a payoff there. There are other drawbacks, though, as well. I'm not a bad mixer, but I'm not a superb mix engineer either. If you were to listen to that track on an extremely bass-heavy system, it will probably sound very boomy and not too good. Now, this could be fixed by a better mixer, and I might come back to it and try to fix that myself. Uh, Sometimes the thing is, mixed problems can be surprisingly tricky to solve. Even if you think you know what you're doing, it can be very tricky to solve certain problems without ruining other things in the way. So what I'm trying to say is, to get all this right, you really need to build up a bunch of different skills. You can't just build up the skill of composing. You also have to learn the skill of mocking up and the skill of mixing. There's quite a few different skills involved there. It's not just a one-trick pony. Or rather, you can't just focus on one trade. You need to balance about three different trades to make this work. Also, um, another mixing problem I had with this track is I found that when I was mixing, I had to remove some very ugly frequencies from the violins. The violins were sticking out like a sore thumb. And I think the reason they were sticking out is because they had a lot of built-in vibrato. They were having a lot of... yeah. A lot of vibrato there and you couldn't simply get rid of it that's the trouble it's been recorded in you can't simply turn up or down the vibrato at least it's not very convincing when you try to do that and so I had to use mixing techniques EQ to remove the ugly bits of that vibrato but the trouble is when I removed that it also started to suck the life out of the violins a little bit they begin to feel a little bit more lifeless So here's another problem, which wouldn't be a problem if you were using real violins. Another issue still is positioning. What I mean by positioning is getting a real sense that every instrument is positioned in a realistic place around the hall. You know, you want trumpets in exactly the right place and trumpets will be further back in the room. And, uh, you know, the horns and the percussion, they all want to be in the right space in the room. And that's very difficult to do. It's not impossible, but it's difficult to do with... uh, with mixing compared to just recording it in a real room. So anyway, I thought I'd tell you briefly how I've done this. And this won't be super in-depth, but I just want to tell you what tools I've used and how I've done this. So some of you may know some of these things already, but I know that some of you listeners are more traditionally based with classical music, and so you might not know. So here we go. What you will need, well, first of all, you'll need a good computer. There's no getting around that, really. You'll, you'll, if you want to do a full orchestra, you probably need a pretty decent computer. My computer's not amazing, but it's fairly recent. I bought it two years ago uh, with, with quite a good CPU. I think it's i7. It's a Windows computer. It's i7, 3 gigahertz. But what's almost more important is, uh, is the RAM. And the RAM I use, it's only 16 gigabytes. That's actually not that high by modern day standards, but it's 16 gigabytes. And that's just enough to make me run a full orchestra. Uh, And the other thing that I would say is having good SSDs, that's solid state drives. Having some good solid state drives will make things run literally 20 times faster. I used to do this without solid state drives and you still can do it. But by goodness, it takes a lot longer. So I really recommend just getting some SSDs, solid-state drives. But uh, that almost goes without saying that you need a half-decent computer. Mine's not amazing. I've got to say my computer is not amazing, um, but it, it only sent me back a few hundred pounds. So there's that. Uh, in terms of software, you will need a digital audio workstation, also known as a DAW or a DAW. I personally use Cubase. That's Cubase, and I love it. But there are other great doors too. So Mac users love Logic Pro, and many people also use Digital Performer, and others still use Reaper. I think Reaper is actually fairly cheap if uh, if you're looking for an affordable option. Honestly, all of these doors will essentially do the same thing, and what a door or a DAW allows you to do is set up all of your virtual instruments. So you can set up your virtual trumpet, your virtual horns, your virtual violins and all of that. And then essentially, you can play your music into your door. You can play your music into your computer so you can create a performance in your computer with your virtual instruments. That's what a door allows you to do. So generally, people recommend, if you're a Windows user, get Cubase. If you're an Apple user, get Logic Pro. But by all means, you can choose a different one, because as I say, most of the big doors essentially do the same thing. Then you'll also need some good virtual instruments. There are literally hundreds of libraries of virtual instruments for you to choose from. So for the track that you've just heard that I made last week, I used Pure Cinematic Studio Series. That's a company called Cinematic Studio Series. So I used Cinematic Studio Strings, Cinematic Studio Woodwinds, and Cinematic Studio Brass. And I simply can't wait for them to release Cinematic Studio Percussion, because as soon as they do, I will buy it. I love these libraries. And the reason I love these libraries is because you have a huge amount of control over each instrument. They're very playable and you can do an awful lot with them. They're very flexible. And their legato sounds are generally very good because legato, a really good legato is actually extremely hard to fake with a virtual instrument. But I think cinematic studio series do a very good job most of the time. And the other reason is if you have the the strings and the woodwind and the brass, If you have all three of those libraries, you actually have a lot of flexibility. What I mean is, if you write a line in the violins, you can copy and paste that into the flute and everything will be there for you. It'll be programmed in exactly the same way so that The flute and the violin will play in just the same way so if you want to double up instruments which is you know doubling is a common technique it's as easy as copy and pasting to a different instrument and they'll all work together they all integrate together beautifully so they'll just they'll play in just the same way and they'll blend together pretty nicely i think so you know the library isn't perfect i don't think any library is perfect but out of all the ones i've tried Cinematic Studio Series is the one I rely on by far the most for traditional orchestral mock-ups like this one. And yes, it does cost money. You can't expect something of that quality to be free. But you can find cheaper starter options if you like. For example, you can check out Spitfire Audio's BBC Discover series, for example. That's that's a very cheap library. It's something like 40 or £50. Pounds. And... It's pretty good for a starter library, but I have to say generally, the very cheapest libraries have very limited options, whereas more expensive libraries have a lot more flexibility, they have more dynamism, realism, and they often sound better too. So if you're serious about realistic mockups, it can be worth spending a bit more money. I'm not saying you have to use Cinematic Studio Series, there's loads of great companies, but it, it's an option that's worked very well for me. So what happens then? Uh, You also need, well, ideally, you need a MIDI keyboard. That's MIDI spelled M-I-D-I. And what that means is that you can then play music from a sort of piano keyboard straight into your computer. What I used to do when I was first playing with this, I, I don't know how many years ago, when I was 18 years old or even 16 years old, and I started writing music on computers, I used to use my mouse to click every single note in I used to use my mouse to put every single note in and my goodness it took forever to write the shortest piece of music would take an incredible amount of time I think that's one of the reasons I actually fell out of love with digital composing was because it always took me years to, to write a piece of music and finally I bit the bullet and spent not even that much money I don't know 60 or 70 quid on a MIDI keyboard and I just couldn't believe it. I felt like an idiot for having not used one for so many years, because as soon as I had one, it was just ridiculous how fast I could write music. Just being able to play it straight into your computer is, is brilliant. So anyway, the process looks something like this. First, I compose the music. I actually sketch out the music. So I, what I do, I don't write this straight into my instruments. I actually use a piano to come up with the sketches. And you can use a virtual piano. In fact, I often do use a virtual piano because it's just more convenient. But use a piano to come up with the sketches. I am a big planner. I like to plan what I'm going to write before I write it. I know some composers just throw things straight onto the page and they go from there. Uh, you know That can work. Often it yields... Um, iffy results I think I don't think it always goes brilliantly if you just throw things onto the page I like to think carefully and plan where I'm going I really like to know where I'm going and I think that it gives me better ideas in the long run if you actually think before you jump into it so this can take several days this planning sketching composing part of the project it can take you know more than more than a couple of days but then once I know what I want to write I can then start orchestrating I can start putting my ideas into my door, into my virtual instruments. In, in my case, that's Cubase. I start throwing my ideas into Cubase, into my virtual instruments, which are Cinematic Studio Series. And then finally, once that performance is all recorded in, which can take a lot of time, uh, once it's all in, I can mix it. But let me just say, recording the performance, it's not as simple as just playing it into your keyboard. It actually takes a lot, of, lot longer than that you have to program in a lot of different parameters. You have to program in how loud or quiet something may be. You know, you have to program in just how long or short this staccato note will last and so on. It's not as straightforward as just playing it in. It takes a lot of programming, a lot of messing around with different parameters to make it sound good. But once I've recorded all that in, I can go to the final phase, which is mixing. Mixing is how you balance all your different tracks together. Mixing is what makes things sound good, sound real, sound alive. And fortunately, you can mix in your door. So Cubase or Logic Pro and all the other good doors will allow you to mix on your computer. But to do this well, this is a sort of side note, but if you want to do mixing well, you really need some good speakers or some excellent headphones. You really want to be able to hear every detail, but you also want to be able to hear where it sounds bad so that you can fix that too. So the reason I say this is because I used to mix on, you know, well, when I was 18 and first doing this, I used to mix on pretty much laptop speakers and they were rubbish. And you just couldn't hear the detail. I remember I was was composing some music for a school play and I mixed it on my laptop speakers. And when it transferred to the theater speakers, it would just sound awful because you simply cannot hear a realistic sound. You cannot hear a true representation of the audio on laptop speakers. And in the same way, uh, when I was in my early twenties and I started doing digital composing again, I had some Bose computer speakers. Now Bose are consumer speakers. And what I mean by that is they tend to really boost the bass or at least a certain element of the bass. They tend to have pretty heavy bass. And so I would mix on my bows until it sounded really good on the bows. So I would actually turn down the bass quite a lot until it sounded just right on my bows. But then I would go and listen somewhere else. I would go and listen on my phone or I'd go and listen in the car or something. And suddenly it would sound terrible. I would, I would listen to it and I'd say, where's the bass? When I listened on other speakers, the bass was just gone. And the reason is because I would be mixing it to sound perfect on the Bose, which means turning down the bass a lot, but then i listen elsewhere and there was no bass left. It had all gone. So instead of using consumer speakers or consumer headphones, it's much better to use studio headphones or studio monitor speakers, ideally, so you can truly hear what the music sounds like. Whereas companies like Bose or others, I mean, I'm not, I'm not bashing Bose. I think Bose do a lot of things really well, actually. But uh, companies like Bose tend to color the sound. Companies like Bose tend to make it sound good to a generic audience. But actually, you don't want that. You want a really neutral sound, a really clinical, analytical sound, so you can actually hear exactly what something sounds like. So anyway, there's quite a lot of information here. And uh, yeah, if you want the best stuff, It does cost a bit of money, but you can find things on a budget too. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I think, you know, it'll always cost a bit of money to buy the DAW, to buy your MIDI keyboard and things, but you can actually do some pretty amazing things on a budget too. And maybe I'll talk about that in a future podcast, but this was just a sort of overview of what equipment I use, I use personally. By the way, my headphones, I've just upgraded to uh, DT1990 Pro. And they're pretty expensive, but my goodness, what a difference great headphones make. DT-1990 Pro by Beyerdynamic. And uh, I also use some software to to correct the... Anyway, I'm I'm getting too technical. We can talk about this in another episode. I wanted to give you an overview here. But um, I'm actually thinking, this is important, I'm actually thinking of launching a course which will teach composing for modern composers. By which I mean you'll learn to compose, but you'll also learn how you can integrate modern technology into your composing process. I'm not quite sure exactly what shape this course will take yet, but what I'm going to do is run this course with a private test group, maybe 20 or 30 composers, and we'll be meeting every week for maybe a month or a month and a half. We'll be meeting every week and we'll work through the creative process of writing a piece from start to finish, and we'll also work through integrating modern technology to do something like I've just produced in this podcast. You know, the track I showed you at the beginning is exactly the kind of thing we'll be working on. So the ideal, the, the idea is by the end of this month, working with me and working with this group of composers, you will have produced something new and hopefully it'll sound really good as well. So, you know, that's the idea. But I'm not sure exactly what shape this course will take. So I will be sending out surveys to ask what you want to cover over the coming weeks. So if you want to be a part of that, and I am excited about this, then you can sign up to this list by joining at insidethescore.com slash composers. This is if you want to hear about this course and if you want to be in this first test group and really write something and, and interact with us a lot, then you can join us at insidethescorecom composers. And there you can look out for my email, which will talk about this course. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.